everyone. Welcome to the first installment in our exclusive Sorta Taboo series. This is a series we created just for our Sorta Awesome patrons. In it, we're going to be exploring the awesome in the everyday in some different ways. In some ways that frankly are not safe for regular episodes of Sorta Awesome. We want you to know that we are so truly grateful for the way you trust us with your support each month. And because of that, we want to trust you with some topics that are a little too taboo to cover on our regular Friday shows. We're going to start off hot and heavy right out of the gate in this series by talking about sex. Yes, sex. Kelly and I somehow have convinced ourselves that we can get through a discussion on this without laughing, like seventh grade boys, (laughs) maybe, (laughs) through the whole thing. So we are going to give it a whirl. So yes, I have Kelly here with me today. Kelly, hello. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Although when you said we're going to go in hot and heavy, I will admit that I twittered a little. (laughs) So awesomes, just feel free to laugh with us. We are going to be right here talking about the real thing. And I think that both of us will say this, even though there's this temptation to laugh and to be giggly about it, which is fine. We both have said, you know, this is a really big topic and it shouldn't be something that is as taboo as it is. So we want to be as honest and as frank with you guys as we would be with a room full of our best girlfriends and say, hey, this is real. This is real life. It's a really big topic. And it is something that we we have to talk about. We do. Yes. Yeah, it's a big part of life for all human beings. It really is. And so yes, it's a little uncomfortable. And yes, there's usually some giggling and we may get to laugh at two today. I don't know. But we're going to cover some of the big topics that come up in discussions about sex. Just as a reminder, I know those of you who are patrons of the show, You guys are the ones that know us really well. But just as a reminder, Kelly and I are both women who are married. We are both in our middle age stage of life. We've been married to our husbands, have had the same partner for a long time. A long time. (laughs) Decades. Decades, yes. On both accounts. So clearly, what we're going to be sharing from our own experiences and where we are and having these conversations, it is not at all prescriptive. This is just really genuinely Kelly and I who are close friends sitting down talking about some of this stuff and kind of letting you uh, listen in and glean some of these things that we have gleaned along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a jumping off point, really, to be able to take up the conversation about sex, sexual healthiness, sexual practices, all of those things in your own life. And Kelly, I think you and I, we are, we're, you and I are part of a, a bigger group of girlfriends. Mm-hmm. One of our girlfriends picked up Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are, which we I, it was an awesome of the week of mine. In fact, you were, you were the co-host on yeah, that show when yeah, we talked was. about it. And um, it has been really revolutionary for both of us. This girlfriend of ours said, I really think everybody needs to read this. A lot of us took up the challenge. We read it. And it really has been a great conversation starter amongst our group of friends. It has been certainly with um, my friends here in my community and also with my husband. So let's talk a little bit about that book and how kind of life-changing it was for both of us. Yeah, it really was. I feel like there were so many things that she discussed frankly and honestly with a little bit of cheek. 
Oh, definitely. You know, as you said in your Awesome of the Week, if you awesomes listening to us talk have not read Come As You Are, um, even one quick look at the cover will tell you, oh, this is someone who is going to have a little fun with this topic. It's not going to be dry. Um, But she's also completely honest. And and again, not afraid to go there at all. She's a sex educator. So she's done this sort of a thing for a long time and is comfortable with it. I feel like reading this book gave me such a wide experiential knowledge of what different people go through. Yes. Um, And so it really, and it did help me kind of take the, hey, look at how we all fit into this picture. Look at how universal this is. And yet, because we don't talk about it, at least in the West very much, we have all of these stigmas and feelings like I'm doing this wrong this is weird. Um, I've got this. And, and oftentimes we're even a little embarrassed to mention it to our girlfriends. Oh, yeah. We definitely. have some, such a perception of what sex is and it should be easy and it should come like this. And like the movies, you just rip your clothes off and, you know, there's multiple orgasms and, and that's, and then it's just beautiful. Um, yeah. So reading the book and seeing the vast range of experience, hearing all these different people that Emily would say still fall within the range of normal. Yes. That was probably the thing that just, I wouldn't say it revolutionized, but it really took me that next step to say, look, all of these things, and we're going to get into this a little bit, are, you know, my experience through my lifetime of my sexuality all fits within normal. And there have been some times where things were really good and things were really bad. And I thought I was an aberration. Yes, that is so true. I think one of the most empowering messages throughout Come As You Are is that Everything is normal. We're all normal. We're all on this wonderful spectrum. And even the same person can experience, like yes. you were saying, different seasons of, um, you know, being in a really great place with oh, just loads of sexual health. And that same person, maybe a year later, is in a terrible place yes. when it comes to sexual health. And that none of that is, none of that experience is abnormal, not to mention all the different varying degrees of um, arousal, interest, all of that stuff. She, she really speaks to it all. What I really love, Kelly, about this book is that she starts at the very beginning with talking about and explaining just our basic anatomy yes, and how women's anatomy and men's anatomy are different, but some very significant ways that they're the same. So I thought that was so interesting. I, this is information that I wish I, I, I wish I would have learned, learned a long time ago. Yeah. It's kind of astonishing that you can get to be mid, to middle age and be like, huh, I never really realized that about the whole down there area right. that we, you know, tend to cloud and mystery. Right. And we call it the down there area. Yes. You know, which is fine in some ways. There's perfect context for that. But like all of these specific areas and body parts that have names and purposes – like yes. you said, I thought that was really revolutionary too and stuff that's probably, it's pos- possibly even research that has come along since we were, you know, teenagers or in a health class when, you know, you think this would be the right time to share that sort of information. This might even be somewhat new, but as she was talking about how a baby develops in the womb, you know, as its gender is determined, these same things move up and move down, but it's still there. Yes. It's still there. It's so profoundly fascinating. I think the biggest piece of information that is the most empowering, the most, has the most capacity to really revolutionize sexual health for women 
from young adulthood on is understanding the two different, what she calls the dual control model of sexual response. So she not only looks at anatomy, she also looks at the way our brains work. And she has, she kind of talks about this dual control model that essentially when it comes to sexuality, all of us, every human being, women and men and everybody in between (laughs) has a gas pedal and has a brake. And so I'm just going to kind of quickly give you the overview. She she spends a whole chapter breaking this down. So I'm going to give you the highlights so you can kind of know what we're talking about and hopefully understand why knowing that you have a gas pedal and a brake and how sensitive each of those are is really the key to unlocking your own experiences with sex. So the gas pedal in the dual control model is the sexual excitation system. So this is the part of your sexuality where your brain sends you a signal that says, get turned on. Mm -hmm. And it can be all kinds of things. It's really interesting because the gas pedal can be influenced heavily by culture. So like what our culture collectively thinks is sexy, kind of those messages sink in along the way. Um, our own perceptions about ourselves definitely play into this. And so when you talk about the gas pedal of sexual desire, it's about what, what does it take for your brain to say, I'm turned on right now? And the great thing is in the book, she gives you a little quiz that you can take Mm -hmm. so you can figure out, do you have a really low responding gas pedal or do you have a high response gas pedal? This was so huge for me, Kelly, because as it turns out, and I kind of knew this before I even took her quiz, as it turns out, I personally have a really high uh, response gas pedal. And I always have. And you can imagine growing up in... Um, Christian culture in a faith-based culture where there are a lot of really like gender normative mm-hmm. ideas about sex that boys want it all the time and girls have to be talked into it or coerced into it and stuff. You can imagine that for me, even from puberty on, I really did think I am way off of the spectrum when it comes to normal because I have such a high response when it comes to my sexual gas pedal. And so that was comforting for me to know. I can imagine that somebody who has a low response uh, gas pedal when it comes to sexuality would also find this to be comforting to find out like you're not broken. It's really the way that your brain sends signals to the rest of your body about whether or not it's go time. Right. I feel like that was so big for me as well. Like you, I also tested that I had a pretty sensitive go with my sexual accelerator, I think that she called it, um, yes. with that gas pedal that it goes pretty quickly. And like you, I knew that from the earliest memories that I have. That was something my I always had a high desire for sex, um, was fairly obsessed with it. And in fact, Growing up in the similar sort of a culture as you, the gender normative and in the Christian culture and the conservative, and we don't talk about these things, but, you know, here's boys and here's girls. I was like, oh, I'm a boy. Like, I, you know, I didn't really <laughs> think that I was gender boy, but I was like, yeah, if I'm going to relate to one of these columns here, like, yes, let's go with this column. That's how I felt. Now, I didn't feel shame about that. And I think a lot of people could in that context. I just felt like, hey, like... This is who I am. Almost maybe like a little secret rebellion. Like Uh, you may think that I'm a girl, (laughs) 
But really, baby, come at me. You know, was kind of how I felt about it. Um, but right. again, like you said, knowing that this is just how people are wired. And I thought that the point that she made that it's so culturally relative was so profound for me to say, what is sexy? What does turn you on? It, it will differ from person to person. Um, so when some people say, well, what really turns me on is my husband loading the dishwasher might not turn you on. And that doesn't mean that you're like, oh, do I, do I not care? Am I somehow broken? Because right. what I really want to, you know, is this, um, yes. is just knowing that what we perceive as sexy, what literally ignites our body, right? Because we say our brain is our biggest sex organ. Absolutely. So it pushes that, that pedal and then it releases all of these things physiological that happen within our body, that that can be culturally different and different from person to person too. Because again, I think that Hollywood or our faith-based culture, whatever it might be, they send different messages, but they send a message that here's the one way. Yes, that's right. That's right. And that's, again, I know we're going to say this a lot, but truly understanding that this cultural depiction is just not reality. It is so empowering and I think can unlock a bigger, a, a longer, bigger voyage of self-discovery in this. So the other part of the dual control model is the brake system, and that's the sexual inhibition system. So this is the part of your brain that slams on the brakes. And it's good that we have brakes so that we don't have our brain, you know, like sending us inappropriate messages all the time, because we need some balance, you know, to to bring uh, to the table here. And so the brake system basically says, turn off. No this is not happening. I'm not in. And again, there's a little quiz that you can take. I found that I was kind of like in the medium range when it comes to the breaks, to the sexual inhibition system. And so again, so many things can influence how sensitive your break is. We kind of have a, a, maybe an innate break where like, I'm generally like, um, I have a low response break, or I generally have this going on. But this the the brake system is constantly scanning the environment and so if you have something externally happening for example if you have a newborn and you're nursing and you're just constantly being like touched and needed and all of these mm-hmm. things that can be a huge reason that your brain is slamming on the brakes if at work you are under intense enormous pressure that may be a time when your brain is like no get turned off this is not happening. And it can change from, you know, like so much of it has to do with the context of what's going on. It could be an internal reason that you're wanting to stop. It could be an external reason. And again, it's always on a spectrum. Right. And I think one of the things that she said, and I thought this might really help to make it real for people, is one thing that can slam on the break is the thought of an unwanted pregnancy. Yes. So Mm -hmm. no matter whether you're married or not, if you've ever been in the midst of ongoing sex and the thought comes, did the condom break? Right. Did I take the pill? Yes. Like you could have been at a 10 before. I mean, you could have been close to orgasm Mm -hmm. and and boom, your body's going to be done. Done. Yes. Like, oh my word. What? Yes. What? Because that threat, so to speak, that your brain just perceived that as a threat because that's what you would have seen it as. And so, whoa, 
whoop, you know, that brake just slams on. And so I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. So yes. even though, you know, your accelerator is saying go, yes, your brake is saying we're done here. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, she even gives kind of a case study because she is a sex therapist. And throughout the book, she sprinkles in stories and examples from her clients. And she even um, gives that as an example that you can um, feel like you have the gas pedal all the way to the floor with what should be uh, an, a, some like a sexy moment in time. But at the same time, your break is coming on. And so it's a matter of kind of sorting out what's going on here. So for the example that she gave with one of her clients is um, a, a young married couple. They'd been married for a few years. Um, this particular wife had a um, a pretty low response gas pedal, but when they when the relationship was new, when uh, he was her boyfriend and he would come up behind her and start kissing her on the neck, she would just like she said she would just melt inside, and it just was like complete go time. But here they are a few years later, and if he came up and started kissing her on the neck, for example, like when she's making dinner, she is just like her break just came on like immediately, like right. get off me, I am trying to make dinner here. And so, you know, for that couple, it was like exploring like, okay, what is the context that you, the wife, need to have in order to feel like your gas pedal's ready to go and your brake is not threatened with coming on and things are about to get hot in here. Right. <laughs> and that's so that leads to another point. She spends a lot of time talking about the importance of context. In fact, I wanted to actually read a quote from the book, Come As You Are. So she talks about how it can, you know, like that same situation of being kissed on the neck in different contexts can either be like, yeah, let's get revved up or ugh, get off me. So she's talking about context. She says context is made of two things. The circumstances of the present moment, whom you're with, where you are, whether the situation is novel or familiar, risky or safe, and your brain in the present moment whether you're relaxed or stressed, trusting or not, loving or not, right now in this moment. The evidence is mounting that women's sexual response is more sensitive than men's to context, including mood and relationship factors. And women vary more from each other in how much such factors influence their sexual response. So one woman may say, you know, to her husband kissing her on the neck while she's trying to make dinner, like, get off me. Another woman in the same context, maybe like, let's go lock ourselves in the bathroom for a few minutes. You know, right. it can totally vary from person to person. And I think that's such a great point because we do tend to think in terms of gender that men, once they get turned on, it's very hard to distract them <laughs> from continuing on in the whole process. But for women, the, the balance there and the way all of these systems are playing together is a lot more sensitive. Right. And if I may just go there, not only, like you said, is it sensitive from context to context and person to person, but it can be differing over one lifetime. Yes. Okay. So I'll just go and say, here's kind of my story. When I was a teenager, by the time my sexuality is, you know, ramping up, my hormones are flowing, my hormones are flowing. You know, <laughs> like I was even thinking earlier today, I was thinking about taping the show. And I was like, I was kind of like, I had a nymphomaniac on the inside of me trapped in a good girl, practical girl's body. <laughs> right? So like at any moment, if someone had presented the opportunity for me to have sex with them, like I, I would have. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the moment never approached me. <laughs> like 
didn't come up as often as I wanted it to come up. That's what she said. Um, but you know, like it, it just, I didn't have as many opportunities. Like the desire was so strong and it was always there to the point really that I look back now and I'm like, it was a little overpowering. In that sense, that's why I said when I've talked to some of my male friends, I know this isn't just a male thing. And this goes to that whole gender normative thing. Men and women have gas pedals and brakes might be that when those hormones are getting turned on and you're in those really fertile years of those teen years and early twenties that, you know, your gas pedal is just more sensitive for a lot of people. I think it's like ready to go almost all the time. And I don't think that's just male. Right. I think that can be both. Yes. But when you're in that stage, it almost is overwhelming. It's like all you can think about sometimes, um, for mm-hmm. me anyway, you know, it was, it was too distracting. I look back now and I'm like, there was just too much of an obsession. Yes. So then I got married. Little note, important note. I went on the birth control pill. Ah, uh, yeah. And I went from a raving nymphomaniac to like not having a gas pedal at all. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's the same person, same context in many ways. Bless my husband. We're trying both. Megan and I are very, very sensitive to the fact here that we have husbands who are right, yeah. not really <laughs> wanting us to share their stories, which is totally fine. So we're trying to honor that. But I'm just yes. saying, you know, you can imagine getting married under this is what we think it's going to look like. You know, even in premarital counseling, I remember there was the question of like, you know, how many times a week would you want to have sex? And I was like, daily? Like, what? Uh, like, <laughs> is there a minimum? Option? Minimum? Yeah. You know, like that was my response. And then I got married and it was gone. So again, same, same person. Here's my problem. When I look back at 21 year old Kelly is because I didn't have this language, because I didn't really know what was going on in my body, because I thought that I was weird. I didn't really know that many other people like me, partly maybe because we didn't talk about it, but at least what was expressed up front was, you know, that you are off of the spectrum of what is normal, quote unquote, for females. It made me go inward and feel shame and feel embarrassed about it. And so I didn't look for help. Yes. I didn't talk to my OB. I didn't talk to my husband hardly, you know, like it would erupt, of course. And, you know, pain for both of us. Like, why? What is happening here? It's like, did you get married? And now you don't, you know, like the thrill is gone sort of thing. Um, <laughs> right. And I knew that wasn't it. You know, there's a part of my brain, but it was like my gas pedal had, had disappeared. And I look back now and, you know, it's speculative, but I think it was probably the birth control pill and the way the hormones can influence a woman's libido and just kind of take it out of the picture. So it works really well as a birth control pill. And not yeah. only is it suppressing ovulation, <laughs> but you're like, yeah, sex. Yeah, I'm done. Um, yeah. So, but I did not have the tools right. to talk to people or to say, hey, you know, let's talk about this. I realize this feels like rejection to you. And that is not what I'm trying to do. It did not do us any favors in those early days of our marriage, just in general, um, you know, I don't think sex is the only thing that makes a marriage, but it's a huge thing. It's a big part of being human. And so just being willing and able and confident enough in yourself to be able to say, Hey, here is my sexuality. It is within the realm of normal because the realm is so vast. I need help. Something yes. isn't working here. Something that worked before. Like you said, you could be great. I think she uses the word a lot, sex positive. You know, you could be in yes. a sex positive context in your life. Everything could be flowing great. And then, boom, 
it changes. And so one of the reasons why I'm glad we're having this show as a hopeful, you know, thought jumping off point for so many of our Patreon people here, you most special awesomes who are listening, is just that we want you to know that these conversations need to happen. Yes, absolutely. And I think, I think, as you know, you talked about sex positivity, I think that we are kind of moving into finally in our culture, women having the courage to talk about it. I can remember, you know, you're talking about being a newlywed. Um, my best friend from college and I, we both got married within a year of each other. And I can remember like a few years after we got married, we were, yeah, we were still in our early twenties. Um, she had come to visit me and she like kind of discreetly passed me this book for women about married sex. It had like, I'm not even kidding. It had teacups on the cover. <laughs> and she was like, you know, we both came from the same good girl background. So she was embarrassed. And she was like, I know this is embarrassing, but this made a really big impact on my life. And she just kind of gave me the book. And then we just kind of like, maybe talked about it a little bit. And then we never talked about it again. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I understand the embarrassment, but that's so wrong. Like it's not doing us any favors. We have right. to be able to say this is good, or I'm having troubles, or to be able to talk about it with each other, not only with our partners, obviously, it for sure should be talked about there, but with each other so that we can learn from each other. I feel like this book helped me to have some of those conversations with a vast network of people with lots of different sexual experiences that could say, here's what we've learned. Here's the situations that we've run into. And here's what we did to work through it. Um, because you can work through it. That's the other really encouraging thing about having this spectrum of normal is that we're all on this spectrum moving around all the time. You, you can find ways to combat a stuck brake pedal or, you know, a gas pedal that in my case seemingly had disappeared. Yes. You know, we've had conversations in our hangout group on Facebook, and I've even gotten emails privately with women wanting to explore this. I think that there is, for women who feel like they're sexually dysfunctional in some way, there truly is, I think a lot of women carry a burden of shame about that and wonder truly, you know, like, what's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? How did I get broken? Is there any hope that I can be fixed? Is there any hope that I can find a way to enjoy sex again and enjoy it more on my own terms? And gosh, Kelly, there's just like, so there the factors that can influence our experiences of sex are like almost limitless. Everything from like how we feel about our bodies to how we feel about the partner that we're with, um, any past that we have with sexual trauma or mm-hmm. any kind of negative experiences, even if it's not traumatic, just negative past experiences, like where we are in the mothering journey, if that's a role that we are trying to fulfill too. You know, I think I do remember, even though I've always had um, a highly responding gas pedal, I can remember with absolute terror and dread in my stomach the first time that Kyle and I had sex after Daisy, our oldest, was born. I had just been dreading it because mm-hmm. for, you know, I waited like a good girl. I waited the full six weeks that you're supposed to wait. I think a lot of people <laughs> do with that first baby for sure. Yes. And so for six whole weeks, I had been completely night and day, 24-7, immersed in this mothering role. And it was the first time I was doing all of these things. And I was just like, how am I going to 
switch? Like, how do I switch off all of this mothering stuff that's in my brain? And I remember it was like not the best night of life, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> in terms of the experience of it. And, and I think that definitely my brake pedal was coming on really hard because it was like, how do I make the switch from mom to, you know, sexual partner again? How do I navigate this back and forth? Well, now my oldest is 12 and We've, you know, obviously we have more kids and we're having a great time still. So, so you've had sex at least two other times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is what we've learned. <laughs> this is what you can assume about us. <laughs> um, but with time and practice, you can sort through some of these context issues that become a problem along the way. And, you know, as I've kind of participated in and, and somewhat listened in on conversations in the hangout group as they've gone on about sex, I just for like every single woman who's talked about, you know, trying all the things like trying that thing where you just have sex more often, and that makes you want it more for some women, that is like, Oh, good, that was a great solution. It totally worked. And that's how we do things now. And for other women, that's like, Oh, well, I thought that was supposed to be the solution. Lots of women say that's what you have to do, but having more sex actually just makes me more miserable about not wanting to have sex. And so it's such an individual thing, mm -hmm. sorting through, navigating through all of these factors that are influencing where you are with your experience of sex that um, I don't know. I don't even know what to say, except that it is, there's a whole journey ahead of us for each person. I really do think in, in kind of figuring it out and then revisit. And as things change, revisit. Another thing that was huge for me about this book is it helped me to see the context and the, some of the things that affect my husband. And again, you and I have like the most private husbands of anybody on the team. And we're the ones that are talking about this. But so without going into any great detail, my husband is a very cerebral person who's in his head a lot. And so for him making the transition out, not out of parenting mode, but out of work mode into something else has long been an issue. And I spent a lot of years with really hurt feelings over that, not understanding, like taking it personally, of right. course, because... When you're kind of always the one who's like putting it out there. Um, and there's a lot of either like, let's wait for another night or let me just get through this thing. After a while, you do kind of start to take that personally and again, go back into the cycle of what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And so being able to see the context and how it applies to both partners has been really liberating. It's changed our communication about um, you know, like frequency and all of those things, like what do we need to schedule? You know, like just trying to plan out and communicate out what is going to be the most workable. Not, you don't want to like make sex into just like a workable solution that you fit into your life. <laughs> but in some ways, having those unsexy talks when you're not in the heat of the moment, 
when you're in like a neutral place and time and you're sitting down and you're like, okay, let's talk through some of this stuff. I know it's, we're going to be sitting here laughing, but it's really important to both of us to kind of get this untangled in our lives. So what is this going to look like? That's going to be healthy and exciting and fulfilling for both of us. Right. I mean, one of the things that I have mentioned on the regular Sort of Awesome show that has been revolutionary to me, and it's so basic, you guys, when I say it out loud, I think people must be saying, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it really just came to me this last year and hit me in fresh new ways. We change our entire lives. Yes. We don't really get to 18, 24, even 30 and be like, and now I have matured and I have arrived. And now life will be static. It just doesn't happen. We may hit a few static years, but do not be fooled. That is not normal. That is the aberration. We are constantly changing. So really, why should sex be any different? You know, if we are constantly as individuals and as somebody who is in a relationship, working together to say, who are you now? How have you changed? How are we growing together? How are we growing apart? Wouldn't we need to do the same thing for our sex lives? You know, we are constantly changing. And I think the very valid point for the women who are listening to us is that if motherhood is a part of your story, that is a huge life-altering thing, not only for your actual physical life, like you actually now have other people to take care of and your responsibilities can change, but for your body. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we do, as a culture, give a subtle nod to that fact, you know, like, well, let's wait six weeks after you give birth just to let your body heal. But then boom, like you're just supposed to be back at it. Like nothing has changed. And I know so many women who just mentally, especially with that first baby, they've changed. They have completely altered in their DNA. And so now they're like, I don't need, I don't even, I don't even know who I am anymore because I love, even if you love this new role, even if you're not struggling with the sleep deprivation and the baby blues or even depression, all the things that you can be struggling with that first year, you know, breastfeeding, even if all of that stuff is going well, you very likely have completely altered. So give yourself grace. Um, yes. Give your partner grace. Hopefully your partner can also give you grace and say, let's work on this together. We hopefully are in this for the long haul. It is going to be an ebb and flow. It doesn't have to be boom back into it. And also, I hope that when we are able to give each other this grace and talk about it, as we've said, that it will help cut down those feelings of rejection, you know, like you were talking about, because then it it does start to feel personal. And so if you can say, look, it's not you, it really isn't like that I'm not attracted to you. I don't feel attracted to anything right right now. I have been in seasons um, and still a little bit today, even though I'm in a really good sexual place, like very sex positive. I am... 45, they often say that women start to really just hit their sexual years in their 30s and 40s. And I am here to say that is true. Like I thought that my hormones and my hormones were crazy when I was a teenager and in my 20s, but it's gotten better. Like I know myself better. I'm more confident in who I am. Obviously, my marriage has gone through a lot and has survived a lot. And so that's that's helped all of that. But I would say that for a little while, one of the things that I talked to my husband about was sex for me has become like dessert. I really like dessert. Mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. the perfect topper for a meal. You know, it is extra, but I do not need it. Right, right, right. I'm not sure that he would have said the same thing. 
um, you know, like for just for who he is. So being able to say, hey, this is where I am now. It's not about you. It's not that I'm saying I'm not hungry at all. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah, saying yeah. that I just don't need dessert right now. You know, so being able to express some of these things can help so much because I do, I look back and I feel so bad that at different times in our marriage, you know, we both felt so rejected and and we weren't able to understand where the other person was coming from. And I feel like we've gotten better at that, which is, of course, Mm -hmm. then helped our sex life. Exactly. I think that is so important to talk about. And I just like am nodding along furiously, happily, as you're saying all of these things, because yeah, and not only, uh, you know, hopefully, the more you talk about the more you do your own research, certainly, we highly recommend this book, but golly, there's tons of stuff out there that you can look into. And the more you do kind of build that vocabulary and build kind of, uh, okay, I've got a working knowledge in my mind. I know what's going right and I know where the areas are that are going wrong. Not only are you having conversations with your spouse and your girlfriends about it, but maybe you're like going the next step and saying, how can I bring some healing to my life in some of these areas? So if it's unresolved past sexual trauma, maybe you're like, I am finally going to get some intensive counseling because I owe it to myself, to my sexual happiness and sexual health to get some of this stuff worked through. I, I may not ever be the same that I was prior to this, you know, traumatic moment or traumatic, whatever, but I, I want to be able to build a new normal for myself. Um, maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it is, um, some physical limitation that you have. Um, and so maybe you're reaching out to, I, you know, you know me, I'm a big fan of the Eastern practices. So maybe it's, you know, like acupuncture or seeing a naturopath to see if there's supplements or ways that you can alter your diet. The Once you have that working framework that says, okay, this is how sexuality works, not like this is good sexuality, bad sexuality, but this is how it works in general. And this is where I want to be then you can kind of start to take those next steps to really bringing all of the pieces together to have a great sex life. I mean, I think another thing too, this has just been my experience in Christian culture. Maybe other people are different. I don't think that, I think that anytime that sex is talked about within faith and especially Christianity, it's mostly talked about in these sort of lofty, ethereal, spiritual terms and listen. I understand that sex is a spiritual thing for a lot of people. I'm not knocking that. It's totally normal. Everyone's normal. (laughs) (laughs) I just, because of the way my brain works and all of those factors, I just have never felt particularly spiritual about sex. Um, I just enjoy it on a much more physical, like more like a sensual nature uh, kind of enjoyment of it. I don't think that we have a lot of people in in a lot of faith-based culture saying like, you owe it to yourself to have a great sex life. <laughs> and yet I do think that is and can be a part of having greater enjoyment and fulfillment in your overall life. Right. So, and that was one thing that I really struggled with. Like I, I heard people that I really respect talking about sex in very spiritual terms. And of course we both grew up in more of an evangelical tradition in mm-hmm. the Catholic church sex, you know, marriage is a sacrament. Like it's, it's Mm -hmm. truly a part of the church in the sense of how they value it. As I then went through like just a, this is kind of an animal lusty sort of way of looking at it. And then where I am today, especially now trying to teach my own kids, 
yes. about sex and wanting to set the table for them to have a healthy sexuality. You yes. know, I, I have said to them, like, I do believe the Catholic Church has informed me a lot here as far as like it being very like a superpower. You know, sex is amazing, but it, it, we can't leave it there. And I feel like that's sometimes where where I grew up. It was kind of just left there. You know, yes. like that's kind of the purpose and that's where it is. But it doesn't really get into the nitty gritty of our humanness, which I right. feel like God is right here present. You know, like just when Jesus was born, it wasn't like there wasn't blood and ripping and screaming and all the other things that happened. You know, like we live in this real messy, bodied world. So we do need to be able to to address some of these just real physical things. You know, I think one of the things that the book did such a good job of was talking about different potential solutions to different problems that yes. people run into. And yes. she just showed so well the wide variety of different things that people could do. So there are some people, and again, we have seen this in the Hangout group, right? When they've talked about it, they've said, some people are like, I'm bored. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've been with the same person, whatever, sex is kind of vanilla. So I have to tell a little story here, a side story. Okay. Um, and I have told, like, I think you know this, Megan, but I have told like almost nobody this. I made a friend... A year ago or so, somebody else who was a parent at my child's school. And we really clicked and we would go to breakfast. She was really real. You know, she just laid out on the table, sort of a person. I loved that about her. And I was having breakfast with her uh, probably about this time last year. And she leaned across the table and she said, Can I ask you a question? <laughs> and I'm like, That's like a loaded question I know. right there. And I'm like, Jesus be near, you know, like, just I'm like, I'm trying to like, pull all myself together to be like, okay, uh, yeah, sure. You know, but like, we didn't know each other that well yet. So I wasn't really sure it was coming. And then she said, you're a good girl, aren't you? <laughs> what do you say to that? What do you no, say? I, know. I was like, like uh, <laughs> uh, I think, so. well, yeah, maybe, but not always. Right, right, right. Do you want me to be a bad girl? I mean, look at me. <laughs> I am a blonde Midwesterner. <laughs> you know? Like, even if I had a tattoo on my ankle or something, like that is not going to count for this question. <laughs> so where she was going, and she shared a little bit of her own story, which I was so happy that I was able to hear, even though it was so different than mine. She was selling sex toys online was looking to open a small store discreetly somewhere in our our town. So she even wanted to have parties like, you know, like, would you, you know, come to a party? There was a part of me that wanted to be so open to that because what she was talking about was a sex positive thing for her, Mm -hmm. you know, her story, her background. This is where she had landed. This was so positive for her. This is like, know your body, you know, don't be boring keep you and your partner, you know, excited and passionate and exploring together. But I would say where I was then and really still kind of am now is that I have finally reached a very healthy place with my husband and myself. Good sex. We have good like systems, so to speak. Like right now we're in one of those tiny little windows where things are just good and, and we've kind of achieved balance. And so I was like, well, I'm not a good girl, but (laughs) I don't need that either. And I was able to say that to her in such a way, I hope, that I wasn't saying, well, what you're talking about is deviant. Right, right, right. Or, you know, like, I'm so much better than that. I don't need that. It was almost like I've, I've gone through some things where I said, now that would feel like 
I'm trying too hard. Even though I know for her, she was saying it was like exactly what she needed. So I think the book does a good job of just exploring all of these things that you could try if you're feeling like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go on, read her book, take the quiz and say, what could I change? Maybe I do need to see a doctor. Maybe I am on the birth control pill and that's hurting me. Maybe there's something else I can do. Maybe it's exercise, food, all the things. You know, like you said, Eastern medicine can oftentimes have some great answers. Yeah. But being able to explore these things and not feel hopeless, not feel doomed, not feel broken. You know, like you yes. said, so many times women will say, like, I'm broken. You're not broken, friend. Right. You are exactly who you're meant to be right now. And there is a way to keep that spark alive. Yes. Yes. I think that is a great place to begin to wrap up. There's one, just to really reflect what you just said, there's one line from the book that I highlighted that I really liked because um, it, it just kind of encapsulates a lot of this that we've been talking about. So her, uh, one of her clients had asked, you know, how do I stop hitting the break? And then Emily Nagoski says, well, that's the million dollar question that a lot of women are wondering. She said, the short answer is reduce your stress, be affectionate toward your body, and let go of the false ideas about how sex is supposed to work to create space in your life for how sex actually works. Yes. And again, like we've been saying, it's so individual for every person. And there's a journey for each of us to to figure out how sex actually works for us in the moment in time that we're in right now. Well, if you would like to have a follow-up discussion on this with us and you want to keep it a little bit more private, you're welcome to do that. You can find me um, both on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. If you want to send me a direct message, private message, you can also email us at Sorta Awesome Megan at gmail.com. Send us your questions. If you're like, I liked what you said, but I really wanted you to speak to this, send us a question. Maybe we'll get our courage up again and and do a part two sex show for you guys. We want to be able to have this conversation to start the conversation for you in your own life. And we want to be able to speak to some of these things. So don't forget, we can have some follow-up conversation and and just see where it goes. Right, Kelly? Absolutely. (laughs) I think maybe a part two could be in the cards. Only because this is our story, but we really do want it to be a conversation. So Awesomes, if you have something, if this is really, okay, this is going to move into a church realm, if this is moved in your heart, (laughs) if you feel moved to come forward right now, if your palms are sweating or other parts of your body are sweating, we really do want it to be a conversation. We both, even though this is called sort of taboo, want to say this shouldn't be taboo. You know, we're not quite ready to have the conversation in the general public. So that's why we're doing it here with you. Uh But we do really want this to be a conversation. We want it to be something um, that we're all on the path in the journey together. That's right. That's right. Thanks so much for listening. And to our patrons, thank you again so much for your continued support.